Uh, good morning to all our listeners and welcome to the second VPOT episode by Business Cluster. I am Vishakhapatnam. In today's episode, we have with us Vidya Amarnath. Ma'am worked at Bank of America and ABN AMRO before establishing her own startup, Paterson Energy Private Limited, that converts plastic to fuel. She is a flag bearer of plastic waste management in India. She is a TEDx speaker and has been a part of Government of India Swachh Bharat Abhiyan schemes at Mathura. As a part of CSR activities, she's working with leading corporate bank branches at Chennai. A very warm welcome to our podcast, ma'am. Thank you so much. Thank you, Vinayak, for uh, this opportunity. And uh, lovely to be in touch with all the students of uh, IIM Vishagapatnam. So, ma'am, uh, First off, like, can you tell us what was the motivation behind uh, starting the firm Paterson Private Limited? So, um, as you correctly said, I was uh, I started my uh, career with uh, a foreign bank, uh, Bank of America, and uh, worked with uh, several other banks, but a very short stint. And then, you know, I was with the media. I did a bit of news reading. I was a newscaster. Uh, and uh, slowly after, you know, uh, putting in substantial amount of time in the uh, financial uh, side of my career, I started uh, realizing that, you know, uh, looking at the plastic waste around us, that uh, recycling was a word that was very loosely used. Uh, but yet we were at, a, you know, at a paradox where we, it was either water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink. Or, uh, you know, something like, you know, out of sight and out of mind. So you would question what is the relationship between these two really uh, paradoxical statements. So many of us, you know, go into initiatives like beach cleaning. I'm not saying that we are not conscious about the climate. Yes, we are conscious and more and more the youth are getting very conscious about uh, the uh, climate change, two degree climate change. But we haven't realized that the... Uh, processes or you know the options of plastic mitigation have not been really sound so what we realized is that if we clean our beaches if we clean our surroundings then the plastic is gone but we don't realize that plastic just does not go out of you know your environment just like that it just moves from one place to the other and where are these places these places are the landfills or the oceans, which every day we're looking at new items and news articles that say how much of pollution is being caused. I'm sure the latest entrant in this is the Netflix uh, documentary called Seaspiracy. So where they talk about, you know, certain aspects about the fishing industry, which is lying really low and Nobody is talking about the plastic waste and the damage caused by the fishing industry and the fishing nets. So all of us are in a world, in a bubble that thinks that, you know, only the single use plastic that the chips packets or the retail plastic that we see around us is the cause for plastic pollution. Yes, that is a primary cause and we all can do something about it, but that's not the end of it. So that's when I realized that plastic waste, although we keep talking about recycling, not much is done. So only value plastics get recycled in the sense that 
recycling of plastic waste, which have good amount of value, gets recycled again and again. And as you know, that once you keep recycling plastic, it loses its value. So it after some time, it re reaches its end of life. Now, what happens at this end of life? That's where, as I, I started off this initiative as a social initiative, as a social concern, as a concerned uh, you know, civic um, uh, person. And uh, we realized that, you know, that there were options to mitigate plastic waste, which was better, right? So we always say that waste is wealth, but waste does not become wealth unless we do a proper um, in recycling of plastic waste. Indeed, ma'am, that is a very, very colorful journey. And in fact, uh, I'll not be denying the fact that we are a little lax when it comes to plastic waste management. Uh, ma'am, I wanted to know what are the uses of this fuel which we get as a byproduct of this conversion? Like, can it replace the conventional fuels uh, like petrol and diesel? Let me first come back to what our solution is. Okay. I mean, before we talk about the, uh, you know, the end product. So what we, I, I would like to come back to the point that where we say that waste is wealth, but people don't understand that this resource recovery and conversion of waste into something, you know, of value also takes a lot of time. People say waste is wealth. They don't understand that there is a lot of process and, uh, you know, uh, uh, a lot that goes on while converting any kind of waste into a useful resource. So what we do is that we convert plastic waste using a, a process called a thermochemical depolymerization. Now, if you know something about chemistry, you know that plastic is derived from crude oil, okay? It goes through a process called polymerization. The monomers become polymers, and then, of course, they are cast, and then uh, you get plastic. So what process that what we do is the reverse of the polymerization process, which is called thermochemical depolymerization. So in this, what happens is the plastic waste gets you know, heated up in a vacuum-based reactor. That means without oxygen, it's get he it gets heated up at very high temperatures between 350 degrees to 600 degrees centigrade. And when you heat up plastic waste, there are three elements that come out of it, okay? One is the hydrocarbons. The second is uh, a mixture of synergy gases or the flue gases. And the third element is carbon black. Now, these hydrocarbons are condensed and we get a very high grade diesel variant. Okay. The second part you will ask is that like any process, what happens to these toxic gases? Now, the toxic gases that come out with this process are ideally carbon monoxide, hydrogen, methane, and, you know, a lot of uh, toxic um, uh, gases. Now, instead of releasing these gases into the atmosphere and cause pollution, what we do is we follow the circular economy model and we reroute these gases to a reactor, to our reactor, because I've already told you that it needs to be maintained at a temperature between 350 and 600. So instead of using external sources of energy, we use these gases, okay? and we retain the heat of the reactor, thereby making our process extremely energy efficient. In fact, it becomes energy sufficient. 
And the last thing that comes out in this process is carbon black. Now, carbon black is separately collected and it has its own applications. It can be used in the cement industries, in the paint industry. So basically, we are coming to a complete circular economy where every kind of resource that comes out from this process is effectively used. Now, coming to your question, what is the application of this oil? Firstly, let me tell you that we have marketed our product by the name Vertex. It is V-E-R-T-E hyphen X. People who know French know that Vert in French means green. Okay. And the X stands for the multiple applications of this oil. So how can you use this oil? The oil can be used in any industrial you know, situation where they use burners or furnace oil or light distillate oil. So it can replace all fossil fuels or, you know, the oils used by the industry to run their processes. And also it can be used as a generator variant. So if you have a diesel generator, instead of using fossil fuels like diesel at a high price today at 80 or even more, you can use our oil which is much cheaper, it is about 45 to 50 rupees. And thereby, not only are you conserving fossil fuels, non-renewable resources, but you're offering a sustainable and effective solution to something that was relegated as being public litter and converting it into a useful form of diesel. Now, this oil cannot be used as an automobile variant. That's what I want to tell Okay, ma'am. So this is almost like the best of both worlds. We have uh, almost zero wastage and we are using each and every byproduct of this conversion. Absolutely. See, the world is moving away from the linear economy where there's a lot of waste into a circular economy to manage your resources. Okay. Like every um, country, if you see, has to do this exercise of resource management to ascertain you know, what are the resources that they have in abundance and what are the resources that they have in shortfall? When they do this exercise, they will be able to, you know, make the most of their resources which are in short supply and become a sustainable and, you know, viable uh, economy. Indeed, ma'am. Uh, that was, in fact, very insightful. And uh, now let's talk about challenges. Like, uh, what do you think are the scalability challenges that you observe at Peterson Energy? And how can Peterson charter the course for eradicating this uh, plastic waste issue in India? Okay. So, one of the things that happened in uh, 2018 end or 2019, along with the whole rest of the world, like the Southeast Asian countries like China, Malaysia, Indonesia, Philippines, which were the plastic dump yards for the world. Okay, the way the developed countries treated their plastic waste was out of mind, out of sight and out of mind, right? They assumed that if they shipped all their plastic waste to these Southeast Asian countries, including India, they thought that their place was cleaner. But they didn't understand that that plastic waste goes from the same you know, Southeast Asian countries through gyres into the Pacific Ocean. So if you have read about these gyres and ocean currents, you will know a place called 
the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. This is GP Square. Okay, this is the place where, because of the ocean currents or the gyres, there are about seven, six or seven gyres, ocean currents, you know, all over the world. And these gyres bring all the plastic waste from around the world to this place called the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. Now, what they don't understand is that this is not the plastic that is dumped by the Southeast Asian countries, but it is the waste that developed countries have shipped to these uh, underdeveloped countries or developing countries, and then it comes back to the Pacific Ocean, right? So the second point is that, on two the, like I was coming back to 2019, early 2019, where all the Southeast Asian countries put a blanket ban on the import of plastic waste from developed countries, right? So now what happened that these dump yards suddenly vanished for the developed countries and they had to find sustainable and indigenous options for dealing with their plastic waste within their country. All right. So the second thing what most countries did was including India, put a ban on retail single-use plastic, which was very good, okay? A lot of people said that, you know, every, uh, you know, municipality, every state, every country put a ban on single-use plastic, which was less than 50 microns, okay? But like all, you know, loopholes, and, you know, we know that people are very smart in finding loopholes, not just in India, but all over the world, they quickly started manufacturing what? Single-use plastic that was about 50 microns. So whether it was 55 or 60, the quality of that plastic didn't change very much. But again, we had the bombardment of plastic waste back. Secondly, what happened was we could not, we haven't yet found useful alternatives for plastic waste. So all of your corporate plastic waste, that is your packaging material comes in plastic waste, in plastic, right? Like all your top companies, your multinational companies that market their products, whether it's chips, whether it's your masalas or, you know, any packaging material from, you know, the manufacturing industry comes in plastic waste it is in plastic so we've not found alternatives for plastic because we have to understand that it is extremely durable material plastic so especially when it comes to liquid so we've not found alternatives to that all right so having said that we are almost in the same place as we were before right there is still plastic waste and almost 60 to 70 percent of plastic waste comes from urban landscapes so as much as behavioral change has happened at the retail level we've not found solutions at the you know corporate and the manufacturing uh, level because there are no alternatives to plastics so this is the reason that we saw we thought that you know if we have a process like the thermochemical depolymerization or the TCD, we will be able to mitigate more plastic. But yet we, the problem that we have, the challenge, one of the biggest challenges that we have today is getting feedstock. It's surprising because as I said before, we are in a paradox where we said water, water everywhere, not a drop to drink, right? We see plastic 
everywhere, but yet we find it difficult. You know, our uh, processing units like recycling plants like us find it difficult to get value plastics. Firstly, because companies do not follow the extended producer responsibility protocol that has been assigned by the waste management rules of 2016. Secondly, you know, they follow a parallel vertical of selling value plastics to recyclers who do little or nothing to plastic waste. They just, you know, use value plastics, you know, recycle it two, three times. And then when it reaches its end of life, again, it goes back to landfills and uh, it goes back to the oceans. So we haven't found, people haven't understood that, you know, they could build a brand around by you know by telling their uh, their consumers or their clients saying that hey look at us we are a very uh, environment conscious uh, business and we follow the circular economy where we you know offer our plastic waste to such processing uh, facilities where they convert it into a high grade diesel variant which we apply in our manufacturing segment and therefore we follow a circular economy and minimize our waste in the process. So there are a lot of challenges for companies like mine to make, you know, corporate world understand there are useful benefits that you can get by aligning your brand with, you know, climate change and climate consciousness. So firstly, availability of, availability of plastic waste is one of the biggest challenges that plants like us face. Uh, very well explained, ma'am. I think there is uh, no denying the fact that we have a very tall mountain to climb. But still, I think uh, some policies from government could uh, do a lot in this regard. Absolutely. So, yes, you can see that our plant, which is put up in Mathura, it's first of its kind PPP, which is a public-private partnership in, uh, endeavor, which is under the Swachh Bharat Abhiyan, which is uh, you know uh, a very, very... Um, uh, important initiative that has been floated by the Prime Minister, Mr. Narendra Modi. And ours is one of those plants where it is under Swachh Bharat Abhiyan. And the whole idea has been to, you know, to actually uh, locate areas uh, in the country where there is very high footfall. And now what would those high footfall places be? Touristy areas, places which has a lot of temples, which has a lot of, uh, you know, archaeological sites. So our, um, uh, of, uh, you know, places of religious worship. So if you see, our plant is in a place called Mathura, which is in the Taj corridor, which is very close to Agra. Okay, now, we've been able to put up our plant in very close to the Taj Mahal, which is an archaeologically protected site, because, you know, you don't want any pollutants that uh, you know, cause more yellow of the Makrana marble, which is the uh, facade of the, uh, the Singh Taj. So because our plant is a zero effluent and a zero emission kind of a plant, we've been allowed to put up this plant. And the vision of the government is very correctly to put 40 more such plants all over the country so that we could mitigate plastic waste and offer a good resource from the waste plastic that has been uh, derived. So this is a very, very important and insightful 
you know, um, step that is being taken by the government. So we're looking forward to such initiatives. Now, if you see countries abroad, like if you see the European Union, now they have got a mandate in which 15 to 29% of the energy utilization by any uh, entity in Europe should be from something called the advanced biofuels, okay? Very recently, maybe two or three years ago, they have added oils derived from plastic polymerization, that is depolymerization or pyrolysis into that advanced biofuels. So you understand, so we have an incentive to use such technologies in Europe because you know, this plastic oil is now considered an advanced biofuel. So not only they will be following the, you know, the mandated protocols by the government, but it will give them an opportunity to save costs, to be climate conscious, to conserve fossil fuels and non-renewable resources. One of the things that I forgot to tell you about this process is that, you know, that I was telling you that each uh, entity should do a resource management exercise to find out what is, you know, in uh, surplus and what is a shortfall in that country or in that uh, uh, region. So suppose, you know, this uh, initiative or this um, uh, process has to be uh, deployed in the United Arab Kingdom or the Middle East where they have no dearth of oil reserves, right? So does this make this uh, uh, process, um, you know, uh, redundant there or, uh, you know, does it have any application there? See, the beauty of this process is that, you know, you can, instead of, you know, getting oil, you can also send the, uh, the hydrocarbon gases to a grid and generate electricity. So in African countries where we are constantly falling short of electricity or in remotest regions in India also where you know you find that the smallest of villages are still not lit up because of the lack of electricity, you could use this to generate electricity. And this is uh, outright revolutionary stuff. So like continuing on challenges, but a slightly different topic, like what were the challenges that you faced as a woman entrepreneur? Okay. Um, so uh, I think uh, this is constantly be taught at all IIMs that it's not just one entrepreneur, okay? It's about working as a team. So as much as I would be the face of my company, but I have a very solid team of experienced people who have constantly been with me and we've worked as a team to build this company. So each one of us has worked on our strengths. Okay, so I am a very articulate person. I have been with the media. So that has been my strength and it has been easy for me to bring my uh, company as a brand out there to the world to make people understand what this whole process is about and what Patterson's Energy's journey is and what its vision is. Similarly, I have ha I have a team of very, uh, you know, um, uh, people who are, who are very experienced in various uh, fields and have their own skills, be it finance, be it, be it technology, uh, you know, be it marketing. So a, a company in any case is formed by, you know, a team. So I cannot say that uh, I have, uh, you know, done it all by myself. But having said that, 
yes as a woman entrepreneur we do face that challenges we do face challenges the first thing is to be taken seriously okay in india as well as in most developing countries and i think in most developed countries also you know it requires a woman to you know put up a certain type of persona to be taken seriously right i think everybody will agree to that that women are great multitaskers they can you know manage uh, things uh, many things uh, very easily um, they are very conscientious in fact it's an initiative in our company to you know for women empowerment so whether it's the boardroom or the factory scenario we encourage to you know bring in more women into the workforce if you see an industrial average of what women the percentage of women you know who are there in the industry today industrial backgrounds it's less than 5% okay you have only 5% uh, less than 5% of women are there in factory setups in the manufacturing industry or in an industrial setup but we fail to understand these same women can do so much of work hard labor like pulling out you know water from a well requires so much of strength if you see the construction industry you see women taking up so much of load so the whole idea is for us to break the glass ceiling and say that if we can do it in a domestic or an unorganized sector like you know uh, Uh, construction women can definitely make uh, that seem true in an industrial or a manufacturing segment so that's one of you know the things that we need to break that mindset that you know an entrepreneur cannot be a woman or she will find it doubly hard yes maybe she needs to put in more effort but i think you know working with so many women around me who just at various levels in the other uh, thing in uh, in this industry i find that they are more conscientious and given a chance that they can do a better job so one of the greatest challenges just to sum it up that women have in any industry is to be taken seriously as a man would and it's no different in this industry yes ma'am absolutely and this uh, speaks a lot about your resilience also and obviously the teamwork makes the dream work yeah, so when we are almost at the end of this podcast but before you let you go any final piece of advice that you would like to give to the entrepreneurs and mba graduates like us uh, who aspire to enter this field or who aspire to set up their own firm okay so here is where i come to a question that which you probably didn't ask is is your technology patented okay so when i discuss this uh, with uh, you know with all the ip consultants that i have intellectual property uh, rights uh, consultants um, it was a huge dilemma for me right because it's a double edged sword once you patent your technology it requires just a little bit tweak by somebody else down the line to render your technology redundant okay the other thing that we were thinking is that the whole process of innovation anywhere in the world at the moment is about protecting once in a, you know once um, eureka moment whereas i think i think differently i think you should put it out there for more and more people to understand that innovation for more and more people to contribute 
to that innovation so that more and more people can make use of it now if you look at uh, you know i had done a ted talk i had done a uh, talk with the jesus and mary college and i had brought this particular uh, you know um, um a story about um, how if you see the gps today or you know which we use on our phones and whatever else was actually something that was out there that was found out by accident okay when the sputnik was uh, you know um, innovated and you know it was uh, rotating around the satellite was rotating around and it's reverse um, uh, the uh, what do you call that the reverse signals actually gave uh, the idea of gps into this world now the second thing was if you note if i don't know how many of you know the story of the air conditioner okay here was this young man in brooklyn in on a hot summer day and he was working for a printing press and uh, and you know the whole idea was to get a dehumidifier okay he had made up a contraption uh, which was a dehumidifier so that the uh, the you know the printing press whatever they printed out the papers or the material the magazine dried out fast and didn't smudge because of the humidity but lo and behold because of the dehumidifier most people found that the air in that room was cooler so a lot of people started having their lunches near the dehumidifier and slowly this contraption which was actually you know the butterfly effect uh, or it's not even the butterfly effect but the uh, hummingbird effect you went to do something okay and something else happened right he was actually going to innovate he made a contraption which was a dehumidifier which actually was going to be used in a printing press scenario to actually uh, see that the paper dries out faster and is not affected by the humidity and the climate but what happened was you got the ac similarly i think for young people who want to be entrepreneurs who want to be innovators i feel that by actually not protecting your uh, innovation and you know saying that i want to build this and make my millions actually let other people know about your technology and your innovation it's like a coffee house scenario you know innovation is always like a coffee house scenario where you know people sit across a, a round table discuss you know sip on their coffees and you know it's just like a team of management students who are doing their project where you designate something for each one and you know you pool in your ideas and in the end you get your end result so i think the idea should be to let your innovation you know be useful to others and just don't be on the economics of things how am i going to get richer yes that will eventually happen but i think you should look at being an entrepreneur for doing a larger good rather than just you know being um, for other reasons the other reasons will definitely follow but the main thing innovation is to find out what is the need of the hour what is lacking and come up with solutions for that where there is a problem you innovate and bring out solutions that should be the main idea so guys you heard it the word from the wise i'm sure the students will be able to apply these learnings in their lives 
on that note i thank you very much ma'am for taking out time for our podcast